Well, we are now, I think that this marks Sermon 5. I'm not sure it could be 6, but I think this marks Sermon 5 where times in Ruth. And everyone, if you've ever read on preaching the book of Ruth or uh, Old Testament narrative, of which Ruth is, um, it explains a, the best methodology for preaching large sections of Scripture. One of them that repeats itself again and again and again considering Ruth, particularly Ruth, and that is the book is to be preached in four sermons. So, we are, um, we'll, we'll work it out on the job. For us, we're about five sermons in, and we're digging into chapter two. But I think, I can't promise, but I think we pick up pace shortly hereafter. I hope it should be somewhere within the standard discipline of the book of Ruth. But as we come this morning to join back into the narrative of the portions that we just read for you, I want to pick up just briefly with what we saw last week uh, with the regenerating work of God in the life of this young Moabitess. Again, we are going to see uh, further progress in the narrative story this morning of recognizing the fruit that is belonging to the root of regeneration in the root life. That is, we'll see the faith that is evidenced in Ruth's life by the grace of regeneration that God does provide so effectually and sovereignly. Ruth is acting upon the regenerating work of God in her heart. She is, and we'll see in this next episode, as she begins an active role in the narrative, she is acting with presumption. She is rightly acting, rightly presuming upon the grace of God in her life as a believer. I think that's significant for each one of us as we consider life's choices, as we consider providence, as we consider and discern God's will in our life, in the daily movements, up, down, left, and right, that it is by His mercy in our lives through Christ, it is ours to rightly presume upon the grace of God. That is, as we look at Ruth, we recognize she believes fervently, absolutely, that God's faithfulness will attend to his gracious call upon her life. He does not call out of darkness, transfer into the domain of light, and then abandon his call. He doesn't lay hold of a sinner Wash them with the blood of Christ. Draw them unto him. Join them to his church. And then leave them to happenstance. He doesn't then pledge, good luck to you. I your journey. He irrevocably lays hold of you. In such a manner, that's not to abandon that work, but to bring it to its completion. This is the glory of the gospel, that he remains faithful. That he who began a good work will complete it. That is exactly what we see as Ruth begins to act upon the presumption that he is going to be faithful. She is currently in the narrative and will, from this point forward, for a portion of time, be framed as we have analyzed the person of Ruth just a bit. We see that she is framed as an anti Naomi figure at this point in the story. That is, 
as you consider its contrast with Naomi as the character is being developed. So far, we see that Naomi is anxious, downtrodden, and doubtful. That is, she heads back again. It all could not be worse. And then we're seeing Ruth emerge in the story where Naomi is anxious, downtrodden, and doubtful. Ruth is hopeful, expectant, and trusting. This morning, we'll see exactly how that faith is being rewarded so richly in Ruth's life and the blessing that attends to Naomi. Since remember, Naomi said, don't attach yourself to me. Well, fortunately for Naomi, she's attached to Ruth. So we see the hidden hand of God directing Ruth's movement, and it is bringing her and Naomi. The one who says, go, get away from me. Don't follow me. Hey, Naomi, maybe you want to follow me. I'm expecting I'm hopeful. I've heard the proclamation of Israel's God. I'm trusting that he will move both of us from calamity unto sustainability. We see God being faithful to his people exactly as Ruth presented to him. Once again, I just note before we join to the text that that is a proper disposition of the believer for each one of us not be filled with doubt, anxiety, concern for God's faithfulness to attend to our needs. It is a full, faith-filled outlook that relies upon His promises that He will be faithful to all that is required. He will provide what is needed. And that is exactly the disposition we see in Ruth. The text opens this morning with this kind of theater setting up where we go from here. So we're kind of, we're ending the scene as it's kind of winding down. The scene of Bethlehem as a limited in town filled with buzz. Seeing Naomi return and this young Moabite has returned with her. And chatter is all about. And then the episode there of coming home from Bethlehem is winding down. And we're, we're beginning scene number two. We're kind of opening up. And the context that is set for us to grasp the significance of what takes place or the movement within scene number two is set up for us in this one theater or this one context for us, which is what was read for you. If you notice there in the text of scripture, join with me to consider the context that then sets up the movement within the episode, beginning in verse 22. So we're done with, again, the... the, the the uh, statement of calamity, and we're making a move here with verse 22. So Naomi returned. So it, it, it's all set up. And Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned with her. And they returned from the country of Moab. They're home now. And now, here is our movement toward what is on the horizon. They came to Bethlehem. And what you want to note there is the overlays for us this theater of at the beginning of barley harvest. The beginning of barley harvest is the beginning here in this providential story of Naomi's movement from this, I am filled with calamity. God is against me. The narrator writes, yes, 
This is Naomi's perspective, but Providence has it another way. That is, although Naomi is continuously, deeply discouraged, bounty of what she had hoped is yet to be possessed. It isn't measurable, in other words. It isn't concrete. There isn't bread in her hands. So she continues to be deeply discouraged. Though she is home, providence is changing. Bounty, though yet to be possessed, is on the horizon. In other words, this language of the beginning of barley harvest is a statement of provision and promise. Providence is filled with possibility. I want to consider this morning, out of this context, this one kind of theater room with which we as the audience are watching Ruth and Naomi, particularly this morning, Ruth, Again, consider it kind of in an amphitheater setting. We're looking at the stage area. And the stage area that is set up for us within which our characters are and in which the movement is taking place is this one consideration of the barley harvest. This is, what, this is the scene that is set for us. And within that one barley harvest, we're going to see significant movement of the grace of God that changes the providence and the life of Naomi Again, Ruth is expecting it. Naomi can never see it. I want to highlight to you then in this theater, in this context, four aspects of God's mercy to the life of Naomi and Ruth this morning in this one theater. So I'm just going to kind of briefly summarize four aspects of God's mercy in the life of Naomi and Ruth through this one barley harvest. The first one, and the, the, the reason for that I trust you can see, because that is where the narrator wants us to focus. Again, the stage is set. The theater is constructed. Barley harvest is on. So from that perspective, consider what is the mercy of God in barley harvest? What, what, what is his mercy that is about to behold them on the horizon that they only cannot see Ruth is embraced. What is the mercy of God that is to abound during this period? The first portion I want to draw your attention to or the first of four aspects of God's mercy during the barley harvest is the mercy of God in glean. Consider the mercy of God in glean. Now I draw your attention to what is taking place here if you look at verse 2. So jump down to chapter 2, verse 2, at the very first portion, uh, where and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. If you have your text of scripture open with me to consider again, what is this gleaning, and how is this a providential mercy of God that Ruth then would say to Naomi, let me go and glean. You say to yourself, what exactly is the gleaning? Or, or, or how is Ruth knowledgeable unto the idea of gleaning? Where does this come from? You just go into someone's yard and start plucking up their produce? Is this the idea? Hey, let me go rob a few farms. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're both broke. I'll go wait till darkness. I'll go in the backyard and I'll rob the tomato plants. Let me go glean. Well, I'm not going to ask where you got it. Just if you can find it, go, my daughter. 
Is that, is that the dynamic of what's going on here? Or is there yet again a mercy that is provided in the gleaning by providence? Yes, there is. Join with me if you would in Deuteronomy quickly, and I'm just going to look at one verse, I promise. And that is, as you go to Deuteronomy, we're looking at chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, just for that one verse, if you want to turn there, I will read it for you, uh, and you'll get the same. Deuteronomy 24, because we're considering again this act of, uh, of Ruth in the mercy of God on barley harvest is first and foremost this issue of gleaning. What is the mercy of God here? We'll consider the mercy of God as a lawful command. Verse 19 is, uh, Moses is explaining Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. And here's the law of the land, miscellaneous laws, right? So here's another one, guys. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheep in the field, you shall not go back to get it. In other words, don't be greedy. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now you take that concept within the law commandment of those who, again, who controls the rain? Who controls the sun? Who is bringing about the fruits? God is. He will bless you. He is blessing you. And when you go to your field to reap your blessings, don't be greedy. Love your neighbor. That's the law. So when you, you know, you're, you're harvesting and something falls off the truck, don't jump off and grab it. Let it go. It fell by providence. I am making it a provision for those who don't have the fields. You're always going to have this economic structure that exists with you. There's going to be the haves and kind of the have-nots and everybody in between. And the way in which God accounts for all in providence, by grace and for mercy's sake, is to make provisions that they can get up and they're able-bodied, that they can go to a field and grab whatever fell off. You keep moving, and you let that which remains in the field be harvested by those who don't possess their own field. Because I'm the one who grew this field right here. Thus saith the Lord in the law, he says, make provision, don't be greedy. So as we join to back to our narrative, we see providence is changing. The clouds are beginning to part. A little ray of sunshine is coming down as we in the theater view them on stage in the room of barley harvest. We already get it. Barley harvest, as we've been informed from the narrator, is a good thing. They're back at Bethlehem at the beginning of mercy and providence. God has them right where he wants them. And Ruth knows it and is expectant and faithful. So God's grace in the law, in barley harvest, made life sustainable for the poor and the needy. Now, at this point in the law, we would see Naomi as indeed a widow, which is the provision made in the law at barley harvest, and we see Ruth also in the text as a sojourner and a widow. God in his providence is bringing Naomi and Ruth from calamity unto sustainability. And Naomi still cannot see it. 
second mercy. First is the mercy of God in this text is his mercy in the act and provision of cleaning. The second mercy of God that we see in this text is he is beginning to take what is pronounced. We are full of calamity and providence is changing. Ruth is expectant. And the next mercy that develops right in front of them that Ruth sees so clearly is exactly that. The mercy of God and Ruth's faith-fueled hope. I say the second mercy of God in this text that we see in Ruth is the mercy of God in Ruth's faith-fueled hope. Now, how do we see this, this faith-fueled hope? Again, it's not just I'm trusting in the odds that when we get there, something probably fell in someone's field. I can feel it. We're going to find something to glean. We're going to see something in a ditch somewhere. I can sense it now. Ruth is not given over a chance. Her faith is fueled by hope in God. How so? Consider Ruth's response in verse 2. If you're back in our narrative in chapter 2, look as she says yet again, let me go to the field and glean. Again, she knows it's lawful. She knows the provisions. She knows the idea. She's familiar with the practice. Even if it's not individually by experience, she's familiar with the idea. There's some sense of knowledge she has on the gleaning laws. The idea that I can go be cared for. So let me go do it. And then as she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight, and notice her faith, you'll hope. In whose sight I shall find favor. That is, here with this text, sometimes we read verse 1, and you notice that I'm skipping verse 1. As the narrator there is adding in background information, of which we'll kind of tackle a little bit more next week with Boaz as he comes onto the scene. But if we skip verse 1, because if we read verse 2, we join into verse 1, and we say, Ruth knew about Boaz. Let me go. I'll find him. He'll find me. I'll find favor. The idea is, Ruth is acting in faith after him. You know, a lawful landowner. Someone who is, as the narrator lets us know, I'm kind of giving away next week a bit, or two weeks from now, I guess. Boaz is what? A worthy man. He's a God-fearing man. He is a lawful man. And Ruth says in verse 2, but let me go after him. After a landowner, after one who would treat me awfully. Let me, let me go. I know the law. I know the idea. We're going to be careful. We're going to be provided for. And said, no, we're going to die. Which is a barley harvest. It's here. I, the Lord has brought us to Bethlehem, the house of bread, to feed and nourish his people. That's us. We're going to be cared for. Let me go. And I'll find after him. Who? A lawful landowner. One who loves the Lord. Who knows the law and cares for the poor. Let me go. She did not know. 
is acting in faith. She presupposes that God will meet her needs. She possessed hope that God would mercifully provide her. Notice how we see this back up, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, as you all know. I want to slow it down. But notice nonetheless verse 17, as it makes clear exactly what Ruth is saying. She's looking for a Boaz, that is, she's looking for a worthy man, but it's not Boaz by name at this point in the narrative. Ruth is faith-fueled in her choices. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from after being satisfied. And we get into the abundance of that language. But this verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. What? You mean you found a place to glean? And somebody took notice? Ruth says, I knew they would. God has not called us and laid his hand upon us to then abandon us into turbulence. Faithful Naomi is he who called us, who also will do it. This is the fruit of regeneration in the life of a believer. God supplies him he has called, or to her that he has called, to she. He provides all that is required daily. Hebrews 11, 1, you recall, we went through the book of Hebrews for a portion of time here, and you can go back and look over Hebrews 11, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12, and that portion there, I just cite you. 11.1 to recognize what we see in Ruth is the mercy of God providing a faith-fueled hope in dire circumstances. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith, as we look upon the woman Ruth, the Moabites, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not for by it, the people of old receive their condemnation. Ruth is moving by faith, assured and convicted regarding the things that are not seen. She is seized upon the promises of God. Now, consider that as I introduce just briefly as kind of an anti-Naomi figure. Right? So here's Naomi. And she is, in an understandable way, I don't need to make light of Naomi's plights. It, it, it is difficult. Um, so we need to be sensitive and understanding the human condition of the entire narrative, of all the folks we're witnessing on the stage of redemptive history. We recognize there are many moving parts to each person's individual narrative. And we can't just swoop in and be like, hey, Naomi. We recognize her sensitivity in viewing Naomi's province that is heavy. And simply because we read it and don't watch it, 
We sometimes aren't drawn into the appreciation of the difficulty that Naomi is in. We just tell her, hey, drink some coffee, get with it, snap in the shade. Or we, we throw out something trite and unhelpful. Ruth is, is in one province with Naomi, but Naomi is also in her own burden-bearing province as well. So we look at Naomi, and yet we do see the emergence of Ruth in its contrast. For some reason, unknown in the text, Naomi doesn't go with Ruth to glean in the field. Again, unknowns within the story that we're not supposed to pause and linger long over and contemplate, write papers about, and argue over what was going on in, in Naomi's mind. There's no known there. The only thing I can trace it back to of why Naomi doesn't go to is um, because it's continued dark power and discouragement. You know, maybe there is some issue. Good luck. We always think she's wanting peace and quiet from Ruth. <laughs> she's yet to really be too excited that Ruth is around. So Ruth says, hey, I'm going to go in the field. Let me. She says, I will. Go, my daughter. Go. <laughs> go. Maybe Ruth is thinking she'll find a young man, indeed, after whom we'll take notice of her. And Naomi will be rid of Ruth. What we see in Naomi, a broken woman's soul. And yet the narrator's honest, don't you guys see though? As readers get to see, God is faithful. Do you see what I see as I write the story of our harvest? Do you see it? And we as readers are like, do. And we witness and we sympathize with Naomi as she experiences the burden of that province. Yet we see and we're excited and energized by the work of the Spirit in Ruth. And it strengthens and encourages us as well. To see God's work in his people so faithfully. The third portion or the third mercy of God in this text that I see as we consider just this brief introduction the idea of barley harvest on the stage. It's barley season. The third mercy of the four that we see in this text is the mercy of God in Ruth's randomness. I even map here before you jot it down. Please put randomness in quotation marks. <laughs> Mercy of God and Ruth's randomness. Look at verse 3 as we join Ruth and Naomi and send her on her way, maybe to relax a little bit. Verse 3 her faith field response continues. She set out. You see, young Ruth is gathering her things, gathering her little bag, and ready to just plug some barley in. I'm going to look for provisions. See you later. So she set out and she went. And she gleaned in the field after the reapers. So here she's approaching and she sees the field. There's some reapers in there. She knows the idea. She knows it's lawful. She's hopeful as she views these reapers that they'll receive her. Though she be a Moabitess. Hey, I'm a sojourner. I know that there is provision made by the mercy of God to the nations through even this provision. They're bleeding. I'm going to come. I'm going to glean. And hopefully this works out. And as she goes, that is a simple criterion of why she chose this particular field. And you'll notice that in verse 3 in the second portion, as it says, 
because the narrator frames it as it's translated into English, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, the literal translation of that is awkward and unhelpful, thus you have your English translation that is smooth and helpful, you get the idea. But if we were to join back the Hebrew translation, it simply would be rendered like this. Her chance chanced the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. You guys went out of names by that, so let me slow down. <laughs> Her chance chanced the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. In other words, as your English says, Ruth just so happened to stumble upon the one field belonging to Naomi's wealthy relative, Boaz. You say, so. Why did the author, I ask myself this question, so I know you're asking as well. Why did the author frame it that way? Why did he mention to me as a reader that this providence is full of promise? And then he throws at me, she chanced her chance, and she landed unbelievably in Boaz's field. Can you believe that? And as a reader, I'm thinking, is that what you're supposed to say here? I, I'm surprised you chose language of chancing chances. Wait, wait a minute, so we slow down to the detail of the text. Because we recognize that you don't believe in chance. The, the holy text of scripture doesn't embrace the idea of randomness or chance or serendipitous fortunes. In fact, in verse Six of chapter 1, he has already eliminated the idea of chance. Remember, Naomi hearing in the fields of Moab, what does she attribute to the rains returning to Bethlehem? The Lord had visited his people. There is no chance, chance now. We've already established that it is the Lord who is at work in all of our randomness. It is his hand of faithfulness. His attentive ear, his eye watches over me. So, in chapter 4, verse 13, wait, don't turn that no, stop. There's going to be a birth at the end of the book. And the birth is attributed to the Lord. Framed with the Lord bringing the rain, and hey, this woman is pregnant. It's the Lord who did it. These two frames right here eliminate this center section that says, she just happened to fall by chance in this one field who is Boaz, who happens to be related to Naomi. And it's wrong. It's just, it's just a realization of means. We say, no, I don't know what it means, because you already attributed throughout the text that it is the Lord who is at work sovereignly and irrevocably in time space and history. So what are you saying? And one author summarizes it this way. The reference to blind chance is a brilliant rhetorical device that is used to get the reader 
thinking about the providential activity of God in their own lives, as well as in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. He goes on, everything that happened to Naomi and Ruth over the last 10 years have been foreordained by God to bring them to this very particular moment. He was about to do something significant. You see, this is the part in the story where he's hoping you, the reader, or she, if it is a she who wrote it, This is the part in the story where the good writer lays forward to prompt you, the reader, when he says, so, she chanced upon her chance and came to part of the field along with Boaz. He's prompting you to say, oh, come on. Come on. What are the chances? What are they? And the writer responds to you. I don't know. You tell me. And the answer that you come to, you say, ah, I see what you mean now. It's not by chance at all. He says, to you. something significant of what the Lord is preparing and doing for Ruth and Naomi, even in the choice of the field. Hey, there's some reapers. I'm going to go into that one. This something significant becomes our fourth aspect of the mercy of God this morning for our time together. Four of four aspects of the mercy of God in the providence of Naomi and Ruth is this. God's mercy through Boaz's dignity. God's mercy through Boaz's dignity. What do I mean? Well, you see, we're blown away. The reader has us right on the hook. And we just shared a moment with him with the light turning on and I see that you're trying. And so right when you're at that moment, you're not thinking that thing through, he pushes you one little step further. Notice how he or she does so. She happened to come to the field, or the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, I'm with you. And behold, Boaz came. You say, hey, now, what are the chances? He says, no, we already covered that. It's not chance. You say, I see. Right? Here she is. 
I'm going to go to this field. I'm going to glean with these folks. And behold, Boaz came. You say, oh, God is so faithful. You see, there is no prompting in the text that we know of. Consider a day of harvesting. I don't know many of us in here who farmers. So let's just go with it. I think we all get the idea. I don't have to work through a little picture here. Harvesting is taking place or gathering up the fruits that have been grown over the season, right? So this is taking place. Harvesting is going on. At this point, the landowner is probably at some point going to go to the field where his workers are working and harvesting and check on the overall progress. I'm going to make sure that, again, if he is a worthy man, making sure that the poor are being cared for, not being run off. That his own harvesters are acting lawfully, which would bend his own responsibility to make sure, hey, I'm not being greedy in this field. Don't do it in my name. Leave what fell to the sojourner, the will, the poor, the fathers. I don't need all that. Leave that section of the field as commanded in the law. Do so. Don't think you're going to be rewarded by me. For getting more. The provisions of the Lord we give lawfully. So at some point, and I, and I stress double underline, some point, the man is going to show up in his own field and check the progress. And yet, he happens to show up at the point when Ruth is there, and he sees that knowing exactly how large the field is. Ends up seeing distinctly Ruth as one of the sojourners who are there picking up sheaves. He could have come at 3 o'clock, and maybe Ruth was there at 11 o'clock. And the writer says, And behold, Boaz. So I write the summary for you briefly. Something. You mean to tell me this is this is the response he wants to think through and to grasp? You mean to tell me that Ruth is in the exact right field, in the exact right location within that field, when Boaz just happens to come to check on the harvester's progress of not only that field at large, but the very section of the field where Ruth is gleaning? Let me just ask one more question. Were there other reapers and gleaners? Because maybe what you're trying to tell me is just, you know, Ruth said that, but that note of Ruth, there was just one woman. How could he not see Ruth? Well, you know the text has already said. She went after fellow reapers. So the answer to that question of the cynicism, are you sure? Are you trying to tell me that? The answer is yes. I am telling you that. Because God is merciful and faithful. And even the most mundane of our Narrator, you see, and that is God in Holy Scripture. 
C.S. Lewis summarizes our concerns this morning in brief. The challenge is one of us is to think these things through that not one thing happens that is random. C.S. Lewis once wrote, quote, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's own. 